0: Welcome to Social Fish Insane, our production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. This is the fifth episode of our special coverage of the impact of COVID-19 on North America's coastal fisheries and fishing communities.
1: There's no income coming in and you still have to pay your bills.
2: You can only freeze so much and I mean we're getting in the same situation now.
3: Essentially what happened is we were unable overnight to sell fish into those sectors.
0: Hello, I'm your co-host Hannah Harrison, and today I'm joined by
4: Emily D'Souza,
5: and I'm Philip Loring. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we are a relatively new international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world.
4: We focus this podcast on storytelling, and this week we're bringing you stories from North America's largest freshwater fisheries, the Great Lakes.
5: The Laurentian Great Lakes collectively make up the largest freshwater body in the world. People often learn about the lakes for their size or for their role in the industrial development of North America, but they are also home to many thriving fisheries. Commercial, recreational, and indigenous fisheries in the lakes are collectively worth about $7 billion each year, and they support over 75,000 jobs.
4: What's most remarkable about the Great Lakes fisheries is how much change they've seen over the past few hundred years. Several dozen invasive species now live in the lakes, and at least 18 species have gone extinct, effectively transforming the ecosystems that fishermen of all varieties have previously relied on to support their target fish species. Combine that with a growing population, pressures on the environment, shipping traffic, and you really start to get a feel for what fishermen have had to adapt to over the years.
5: Great Lakes fisheries are unique in so many ways. One of them that strikes me is that they are a rare case of a truly regional fishery. That is to say that the vast majority of what is caught in the Great Lakes is eaten in the Great Lakes region as well. So we saw an opportunity here to look at the entire food chain that fish follow to make it to your plate from the fisherman to the restaurant and ask, how is this food chain being affected by COVID-19? How are the folks at each step responding to the uncertainties of this pandemic?
0: Well, let me start by introducing you to Carson Minor. Carson is a third generation fisherman on Lake Erie. And today, he fishes with his brother and father on their boat, the Lincoln R. I first spoke with Carson in mid-April, where normally he would have been out fishing for pickerel and yellow perch.
1: Like the spring is is a big time for eating fish, especially days like Good Friday is, is probably like our Super Bowl of selling fish. So, I mean, that can be quite scary. If you have loans and stuff, there's no income coming in and you still have to pay your bills. You still have your insurance to pay for, your docking fees whether you're gonna pay people to stay on salary or not, right? And there's still maintenance that has to be done. Definitely people are gonna be feeling financial burdens. When you see some restaurants that sell usually a thousand pounds per week, going down to taking a hundred or less, like that has huge effects, right? They're not nearly making the same amount of money too. So what scares us going forward is, will these restaurants still be in business? Will they be taking our product? Where what will the demand be for our product when we can start fishing again, when the economy does get opened up?
0: Now, about 10 days after this first interview, fishermen on Lake Erie finally got some good news.
1: Yeah, so the the plant informed us uh, that we'll be allowed to harvest some fish. Uh, We are on a limited amount per week, so they don't want overabundance. And I think this is a number that was discussed within the processing community to To keep uh, in a reasonable amount. But yeah, so we can all bring in a a certain amount. This is often a a busier time of year for us. The water's cold, so uh, we can put more time on our nets. It's often a time where we have larger harvests as well. So I think that had a bit of to do with um, opening up a bit of the season was to allow the fishermen to access the lake when we're capable of getting Good catches. It's harder for us to catch fish sometimes in the, in the summer when the water's warm.
6: Long ago, before our time, boys, in the days of steam and rail, far beyond this cozy harbor, you could see their lofty sails as they set their nets and drifted at the mercy of the
4: wind. So that's great that Lake Erie fishermen are back on the water. But I'm curious about the next steps along this food chain. After Carson and his family catch their fish, what happens to them next?
0: Carson's catch is met at the dock by trucks from Prestige Foods, the processor to whom Carson sells most of his fish. Prior to COVID-19, Prestive Foods sold mostly fresh fillets into the food service market, which services such customers as restaurants, hospitals, and universities. Now they do also have some frozen and value-added products as well, but it has generally been a pretty small portion of their overall business model.
3: When we started to hear of COVID-19, you know, through most media streams and really not having had an experience similar to um, a virus that would ultimately be a pandemic not only North America, but globally, um, we originally thought that our biggest concern was going to be a demand issue.
0: That's Ulysses Pradas, the owner of Prestige Foods, who we heard from briefly last week.
3: It was around March twelfth and on when it started escalating from that to well, you know, this is gonna look different. So at that point, you know, when we started to hear of certain states within the United States, particularly in the Midwest, declared a state of emergency, the closure of restaurants, bars, non-essential businesses. Essentially what happened is we were unable overnight to sell fish into those sectors, recognizing that was the largest sector. Market for our industry. and you know, and I think we in our industry have always recognized the significance of the food service market as it relates to freshwater fish. I don't think we've ever really stood back and looked at what the impact would have been with the complete closure as we saw with Covid nineteen. So the reaction to that was basically to stop fishing because in our industry, freshwater fish fishery, for decades, has been a supply driven business, which means, you know, we would catch fish and then go to market in that, in that, in that order. And as we, you know, navigated through the COVID-19 closures, we started to recognize at a pretty early stage that, you know, there is a possible shift from a supply driven business model to a demand driven business model. What we're, you know, we're actually realizing now and see now is the closure of many restaurants, because. Um, they just weren't able to, you know, financially withstand uh, an extended period of closure as such. Like we're still uncertain as to what demand will be, not so much as restaurants open under a new environment and restrictions, but how long it will take from that point to when we can actually say that we've returned to some kind of normal demand.
0: Another thing Ulysses and I talked about is the challenge of keeping Great Lakes fish on the menu during times when restaurants all over are making hard choices about what entrees are going to keep them afloat.
3: When restaurants do open up, so that restaurant owner will be challenged with uh, many things um, from how many people they employ, you know, how do they physically lay out their dining rooms to accommodate any of the regulations and in addition to the capacity setting. The more important thing for us is um, you know, the change that we may see in their menus in a limited menu uh, environment. And what I mean by that is, is this, imagine a restaurant pre-COVID that you'd go to and would have had a choice of let's say 20, 20 entrees. Unless it was a themed fish and seafood restaurant, within those 20 entrees would have been probably, let's say five to six options of five or six different species of fish. Now, since capacity has been regulated and changed, the menu now will change by the number of different options and their buying patterns will change to accommodate that flow. So in that particular restaurant, if they did previously have lake fish, the challenge for us is how do we ensure that that restaurant, when they go to limit that menu, keeps lake fish that used to be maybe five or six items on their entire menu that might go down to one or two or two or three. How do we ensure that we're in those two to three items? So th- that's the biggest challenge right now.
6: From the North Sea to Lake Erie, with their families they came, in a strange new land they toiled so hard, to carry out their dreams, and they built their boats and houses, from the trees along the shore, and they formed a fine tradition,
0: The Great Lakes have a wide variety of processors who buy fish from fishermen and, in some cases, even own boats and lease quota themselves. They are all a little different, catering to different markets based on the species available in their area and each season. Take, for example, Purvis Fisheries off of Manitoulin Island in Lake Huron.
2: My name is Denise Purvis from Purvis Fishery. I'm a fifth generation in the business. We've been here since 1882, and we are... A little bit different than some of the industry because we fish ourselves, plus we process, plus we sell our own fish. So we're not necessarily just a buyer or just a fisherman. We do both.
0: Purvis Fisheries' business model is also unique in that they cover both the big and small-scale ends of the market.
2: Uh, we do a little of everything. Our, we have two main markets. Um, when we start up in the spring, we're pretty heavy into, uh, we sell likely at that point in time of the year, 80% of our product goes into the U.S., We sell into the Jewish community in uh, New York and Chicago. Of course, the the Jewish holidays can't come in April. We, you know, likely did about half that we'd normally ship into the U.S. because, I mean, of course, New York was in trouble and so was Chicago. So, I mean, they still kept open, which I was surprised. I thought they would completely close. Then when the summer trades start to open up in May, then we start going more into restaurant trade. And we do a lot of restaurant trade right through for the rest of the year. You know, and so then it changed the whole aspect of the spring because we kept fishing because we were a little bit smaller player and we bought from some of the other fishermen that had to stop fishing because of who they supplied. We bought some fish from them trying to keep them going on Lake Huron. But the bigger players are not open because while they had such a heavy amount of fish that came in in the spring, is what happens is you can only freeze so much. And I mean, we're getting in the same situation now because. We kept freezing because we were empty because our fishery hadn't started yet, so our freezers were empty. So then, as we bought this fish and fished a bit ourselves, what we couldn't sell, we froze, hoping that the market, the restaurant trade market, would open. You know, and right now it's you know pretty slow, so we're at the point too. That's why we haven't actually pushed to gear up more of our boats, and you know we're getting to the point where likely gonna be maxed out in our freezers too for the summer trade unless it starts to really open up.
0: On the other side of your business where you're selling out of your retail shop, for instance, what's going on in terms of local people wanting to buy your product?
2: So we normally start this weekend and we do farmers markets and we do some other kind of trade to get it out into the local community. But what we did back in May is we advertised a door delivery through uh, where they have a marketplace here in a Manitoulin Island buy and sell. And we let people put in individual orders and we told them we'd drop it on their porch. So we did that twice, and we've had a lot of orders.
4: So it sounds like that diversified business model has really allowed them to adapt to the challenges brought on by COVID-19 in a way that some other processors haven't been able to. But COVID-19 also presents challenges not just to markets, but also in how fish processors are able to stay open and protect their workers from COVID-19 at the same time.
0: That's a good point. I heard similar concerns from John Olmstead this week. John is the owner of John O. Foods, a large buyer and processor of fish on Lake Erie and elsewhere. He really emphasized the point that the fishing industry, from fishermen all the way to processor, has to be adequately prepared to keep people safe as they return to work. Before we hear from John, I just want to note that he and I spoke over the phone, and the connection wasn't always the best. So this next bit of tape is a little bit hard to hear in some places.
6: We needed to make sure that everybody was operating right, because if people were not operating right and one got in the newspaper, Canada the United States, it wouldn't say John O. Food screwed up. It wouldn't even probably say the name, a fishing company with fish from Wheatley or fish from Port Stanley from Lake Erie messed up, you know, somehow, or there's an outbreak of COVID in the fishing industry. So the risk of this in all things never belies just with the particular plant,
5: You know, what I'm hearing in these interviews, Hannah, is that the folks involved in Great Lakes fisheries are really facing a variety of risks and challenges. Some people aren't fishing, some people might be fishing too much, and then there's a concern about what happens when the fish gets to the processor. And it has me wondering, what's next for Carson's fish?
0: Great question. So let's make one more stop along the food chain and talk with someone who actually brings those fish to our plates.
7: So my name is David Necto, and we've been in the restaurant business since uh, 1960, uh, family-run. My mother and father started the business.
0: David and his family own four restaurants and a catering company on the coast of Lake Erie, and most of them specialize in Great Lakes fish, particularly Lake Erie yellow perch.
7: Well, I I call it my main man there, Mr. Miner, and he's my main supplier, Rod Miner, Miner Fisheries. And I call him up and it's anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 pounds a week. He brings it in. It's delivered every day. We receive it. It's filleted, clean, and then it's cooked that day.
4: Now, if that name, Minor Fisheries, sounds a little familiar, that's because David is buying from Carson's uncles, who also harvest, process, and sell Great Lakes fish. Though it's becoming less common, Great Lakes commercial fisheries are often centered around families who have been in the business for multiple generations, like the
0: fishermen and the processors, David has also seen some big changes due to COVID-19, including closing down three of his four restaurants.
7: We're pretty much the, the, one of the oldest restaurants in Port Dover. So we were getting a bit of flack from social media saying, uh, you know, the knuckles are, the restaurants open, they're bringing people to Port Dover, bringing the COVID to the, uh, to the county. So we closed, we, we had the health department come in, they saw everything that we were doing, they were all good with everything we were doing. Uh, we just decided to close. We closed down, we, we did a few changes, and uh, then we opened back up about three weeks later. And now we've been going for about three weeks now in the one restaurant.
0: One thing that stood out to me in talking to David is that part of the resilience of his business model, in as far as his ability to keep a steady supply of fish coming his way, is built into his relationship with the fishermen who catch his fish.
7: I'm family run, and so, so I buy from a family. Us families stick together for one thing. So I, I can't see a problem of me not getting any perch because I have the miners and, and uh, he fishes mostly for me.
0: So despite all of this uncertainty, there is a little bit of good news coming out of the lakes. While David is still operating at only a fraction of his capacity, the industry has been working to find new markets for fish while still having frozen inventory for when restaurants like David's can fully open their doors. So I checked back in with Carson this week and learned that for now, he and his family are back to fishing as normal.
1: Yeah, yeah, so we were informed the other day that uh, we started with some restrictions on our harvest. And they informed us the other day that uh, they're they're taking the restrictions off. So things are changing. But I mean, this changes day to day. We could see the plants just take fish for a little bit and then shut down again. But we're able to bring in as, as much as we can catch.
6: Take me back to that time Let me drift across the line Let me feel the cold
5: Thanks for joining us. Social Fish will be bringing you the voices and stories of small-scale fishermen and women from around North America for the foreseeable future of the COVID-19 pandemic.
4: To connect with the people you've heard on this podcast, including fishermen, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org.
0: Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the Local Catch Network. Today, we heard from Ulysses Pradas, Carson Minor, John Olmstead, Denise Purvis, and David Nichtel. You've been listening to Wooden Boats and Iron Men by Bruce House Milner, a longtime singer and songwriter in Port Dover, Ontario. See you next time.
6: Yes, my mind. Wonder every time I think of them the say brave the seas and weather wooden bolts and iron